before we get into God's word, let me just give you a couple of quick announcements. Uh, one is next Sunday night, I want you to circle that date on your calendar for our Big Give Night of Worship. We've never done this before, but we're super excited about it. We've been planning it this week, and it's going to be amazing. Well, we're going to hear about what the Big Give is, is going to be focused on this year. That is planting churches and building churches in Africa and what God is doing there. So you want to come. You're going to hear more about that. But more importantly, you're going to be praying about it, worshiping God together. It's going going to be a really exciting time and so you just need to be here all right so next Sunday night say honey we're gonna we're gonna watch the game you know on the replay we're gonna we're gonna be at church on Sunday night next Sunday night for the big give night of worship okay and then the second announcement by the way some of you have been asking me about Israel how things going there what are we doing we're continuing to support them financially and with our prayer support but a portion of the big give this year will go toward the relief effort in Israel as well. So continue to pray for them. We'll be pushing a lot of what we learn out on social media so that you can stay up to date, okay? The second announcement that we have today is we are gonna take communion. So if you did not get a communion cup on the way in, just raise up your hand and leave it up and there's somebody that will bring it to you. They're looking for the hand right now, all right? So they'll bring it to you. So we want everyone to have that uh, this morning. Okay, uh, let's get your Bible out and open it up with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's where we're going to be today, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And a couple of, about a month or so ago, our staff uh, decided to do Fantasy Football League. So we've been doing the Fantasy Football League, and I'm just telling you, it's not been good for me. All right, it's not been good for me because my team has been losing on a regular basis, okay? In fact, here's our fantasy football uh, kind of layout and a little sad face over there. That's my team, okay? It's been really, really sad. And so when you lose, you have to spin the wheel of consequence and then you have to do all these goofy things, which I've had to do. And it's just not good. In fact, it was so bad. One of our staff people said, Pastor, we love you. And, you know, next year, if we do this, maybe you just shouldn't do it, you know, next year because it's not going so well for you. And I'm like, I agree. I agree. I mean, there's a lot of trash talk going on. A lot of trash talk. I'm not going to name names, Kim Riley, but there's a lot of trash talk happening. And, uh, and, and, and you know, I get it. I get it. It's, it's okay. It's okay. But uh, today we're talking about communion. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of things we can divide over, a lot of things we can trash talk over whether it's our favorite team or our political views or whatever the thing may be. But man, when we get to communion, uh, that ought to be the place where we are united, right? We're not divided, we are united when it comes. That, that's where we really experience oneness as a church family. However, uh, the Corinthian church was not experiencing oneness when they came to communion. In fact, that was a very divisive issue in that church. And you're like, well, how in the world can communion be divisive? Well, uh, let's look at it. First Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to begin at verse 17. And this is the word of God. Amen. He said, now in the giving this instruction, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Now, stop right there for a minute. He's like, man, when you guys come together and you're going to find, he's talking about communion. It's terrible. It's almost better that you didn't come together because you're worse off when you do it because of how you're doing it. You're like, well, what, what's so bad? What are they doing that's causing so much problem? Verse 18. 
For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat or drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. Now, what's going on here? You got to remember that in the early church, they didn't have buildings to come to like we do. They typically met in houses. In Acts chapter 2, we know they met in the temple court and then they met from house to house. And so they typically gathered in homes and they had regularly had what they called uh, some call it a love feast, some call it an agape meal, but it was basically where everybody got together and they all shared their food and they ate, okay? So this is where the covered dish dinner was created, you know, this is where the, you know, the fellowship meal happened and, and they all ate together. Now, last Sunday, I, after I preached, I went to the airport straight from the church, got on a plane with some of our team. We flew to Las Vegas where we met three families that are planting churches in Las Vegas that are going to join our Cross Creek Network, church planting network. We're super excited, but we all gathered around a meal and we all ate together. And then over the meal, we talked about our stories and got to know each other. It was wonderful. It really was great, but it happened over the meal. And that's what was happening in the early church. They would get together, they would share their food, they would fellowship over the meal, and then at the end of the meal, they would take communion together. It's just a symbol of their unity in Christ. But in the Corinthian church, that wasn't happening. When, when they get together, uh, some wealthier people had a lot more food, uh, poor people didn't have a lot of food, they would get in their cliques and they wouldn't intermingle together. The people that had a lot of food would end up being stuffed to the gills and go home full, while the people that didn't have that much would just go home hungry. They didn't get anything hardly. And, and then there were some on top of that that were getting drunk, you know, they were getting lit on the, at the Lord's table and like, what is happening? I mean, Paul is like, you guys are a dumpster fire, okay, y'all are a mess, Okay, so how do we rein this in and, and put some parameters around communion so it can build us up and not tear us down? So that's what we're reading here. Paul is writing, the Apostle Paul writing to this church to give them instruction about uh, communion. Okay, now you may say, well, why, why do we need to talk about this? Um, well, think about it this way. When, when a young couple gets married, uh, they come from different families and they create a new family, right? And so with, with that, they bring in their own traditions. One family maybe opens their Christmas gifts at Christmas Eve. And then one, no, 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 it's got to be on Christmas Day, right? Some people eat turkey at Thanksgiving. Other people eat pizza or lasagna or something else. I mean, they got these weird traditions, All right? And so when they get together, they have to figure out, okay, what are we going to do now as our own family? Well, in a similar way, we are a church family, and we all come from different traditions. And some of you come from various denominations. Some of you come from various traditions, especially when it comes to the Lord's table. And so how do we get to oneness and agreement as to how we are going to separate and uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper together? How do we get to there? In fact, there could be a lot of trash talk 
among us when it comes to the Lord's table. For example, there are some people that believe in closed communion, which means only the members of that church can take communion, where others believe in open communion. If you're a believer in Jesus, then the table is open to you. There's some people that believe you should take communion every single Sunday. And then there are some people who think you should only take communion one time a year, and that is right before Easter, okay? There are some people that have too high a view of communion, meaning that they believe communion is salvific. You have to take it to be saved. And then there are people that have too low a view of communion, and they really almost treat it like it's nothing special, and pizza and a Coke is just as good as the bread and the cup and that kind of thing. So... How do we get to oneness when it comes to communion? And so that's why Paul writes us here. So the way we get to oneness is we just go to God's word. That's what we do at our church. We just go, what does the Bible teach us? And so I'm going to give you four insights into the Lord's table. By the way, I'm going to use the term Lord's table, communion, and Lord's supper interchangeably. Uh, those are all meaning the same thing. Okay? So I'm going to give you four insights into the Lord's table. Once you write these things down, this is how we practice communion together here at Cross Creek Church. All right. Number one, when you come to the Lord's table, we need, first thing we do is we look back. We look back. Look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took a cup, took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now I want you to underline in your Bible the two times that he repeats the phrase, do this in remembrance of me. In the, in, at the very base level, communion is a remembrance in, in communion, we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, if I were to take you to Israel today, I would transport you over there and say, I'm, I'm going to take you to the upper room, uh, which, which we've taken many, many groups. I'd probably take you to a room that looks like this. This is the place that we often go to when we talk about the upper room. We don't know exactly if this is it. There's some evidence that maybe it was. But there Jesus gathered with his disciples just before he died. And he was celebrating the Passover meal together. Now the Passover meal was to celebrate how God brought Israel out of bondage in Egypt. How God brought plagues, right? Remember the story? God brought plagues to cause Pharaoh to release the Israelites. But he only hardened his heart. And finally the last plague was the death angel. And so God gave instruction to the Israelites to take a lamb and sacrifice it and put the blood on the doorpost. And when the death angel came, that when he saw the blood on the doorpost, then he would pass over that house and all who are in it would be saved. That's where we get the term Passover from. And so here is Jesus celebrating that God provided a lamb as a sacrifice. And when he saw the blood of the sacrifice, judgment would pass over. And so he's celebrating this. And then he takes the bread and he breaks and he says, this is my body. And this is my blood, the cup. What Jesus is saying is, I am the ultimate Passover lamb. 
That's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover and Lamb, has been slain. So Jesus is saying in this Lord's Supper that I am the ultimate sacrifice and that only through faith in me when God sees the blood of Christ applied to the believing soul is that person saved from the wrath of God and united with God in fellowship. Okay, so that's, that's, what, that's the historical roots of the Lord's Supper. Now, I want you to notice he says here in verse 24, this is my body broken for you. What does it mean, this is my body? Apparently, this phrase has caused a lot of confusion over church history, okay? So, I'm going to, I want you to put on your little theology hats on, all right? Got your little theological hats on this morning. We're going to talk a little theology. I'm going to tell you how this has changed or the views have changed over history. There is a view called transubstantiation. Transubstantiation means literally to change substance and is the belief that when we take communion that the, the elements, the bread and the wine, literally, physically change substance into the literal body and blood of Jesus. Now this is a, a Catholic theology, a Catholic teaching. They believe when the priest lifts up the Eucharist that in that moment, the elements transform into the literal body and blood of Jesus. Now, I don't see any evidence of this in, in the Gospels. In fact, what I do see is that many times Jesus spoke in metaphorical language, right, or symbolic language. For example, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life in John 6, 41. Nobody thought he was a piece of bread. Everybody understood he was speaking metaphorically, symbolically. When he said, I am the door, Jesus, people knew he was an actual door. That's symbolic. Or when he said, I am the true vine in John 15, nobody thinks he's an actual vine. They understood he, he is speaking symbolically. And so that night when he uh, takes the bread that they have just been celebrating the Passover with and breaks it and says, this is my body broken for you. They understand. Nobody in that night thought that was actually the body of Jesus that they were taking. He was speaking symbolically as a metaphor of his broken body that would be broken on the cross. Now, Martin Luther, moving away from that Catholic view, created a different view. And his view was consubstantiation, which means, it's kind of close to it, but uh, basically that the, the elements, um, uh, that the presence of Christ or the body of Christ is in, with, and under the elements. In, with, and under is the phrase there. They, Luther said like, water is in a sponge that the physical body of Jesus is kind of in with and under the element like the elements haven't transformed but the presence of the body of Jesus is there and you say well that doesn't make any sense and, 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 and it's hard to understand where Luther is coming from on this one because again how can the physical body of Jesus be everywhere at one time how can that be and is there any scripture to support such a thing and there is not so that's consubstantiation. And it wasn't until John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli, a good Swiss theologian, put forward what we call the, the theory of divine presence. Basically what this means is that uh, the, the elements are not changing substance. There is nothing 
supernatural necessarily happening in the elements themselves. They're just a cup. They're just a cracker. You know, they're just bread. But they are symbolic of the broken body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. They're symbols. And yet, there is something of the presence of God that happens when God's people come together that, that Jesus is spiritually with us in a significant way. The divine presence. In fact, um, this is what Paul I think, alluded to in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16 when he said, the cup of, the, of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing of the body of Christ? That word sharing there is koinonia, which we get the word fellowship from or participation. So there is some sense that we are participating with the presence of Jesus. We're in fellowship with one another and in fellowship with the presence of Christ in this special moment of taking communion. Now you might say, uh, hands up in the back of the room, uh, well, isn't Christ always with us? Then, uh, and, and that would certainly be correct. Correct. Christ is with you. If, you. if you've given your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Christ is in you. Yes. However, there is a special experience of the presence of the Lord when we take communion. Think of it this way. A couple is married for 40 years, right? 40 years they've been married. They're together all the time. Monday through Saturday, Sunday, they're always together. And yet there's one night that they decide, hey, we're going to do something special because it's their anniversary. So they, the guy puts on his best suit. The wife puts on her best dress. They go out to a nice restaurant. They light the candle. They, they spend some money on a meal. And they remember and celebrate their union together. Now, in the same way, they're always together, but it's special. They're remembering. In the same way, Christ is always with us. But yet when we come in communion, we remember all that Jesus has done for us. And there's a special moment of experiencing his nearness and his presence and his fellowship as we take communion together. Now notice verse 25. He said, this cup is the new covenant. You might circle the words new covenant there. That's very important. The old covenant was a covenant based on offering sacrifices, right? I, I, in the old covenant, I went to the temple and I offered an animal and the priest took it and offered up prayers for me and I hoped that that would reconcile me to God and yet over and over and over I had to do it. Hebrews chapter 10 says that I could never fully be reconciled to God. I had to keep repeating it. But in the new covenant, it's not based on what I do, it's based on what Christ has done. That he is the ultimate, final, once for all sacrifice. That's what Hebrews 10 says, he was sacrificed once and for all. And he was ascended to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. It is done. Right? First Peter, I love what First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. So the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, uh, it, which is foreshadowed there, is now fulfilled in the New Covenant in Christ's coming and sacrifice. Aren't you really glad? Okay, I'm about to get fired up here a minute. Y'all get fired up with me. Aren't you really glad you're not going, man, I just got to try harder and, and hope it works and I'm going to try to keep offering these things. It is finished in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. It is done. It is done. It is done. It is done. 
I am so thankful that Jesus has provided everything needed for us to be right with him. That's the new covenant. It's, it's etched in the blood of Jesus Christ. So when we come together as believers, we take communion, we look back. We look back at all that Jesus has done for us. We look back on all that he has provided by his grace, all right? Uh, number two, not only do we look back, we look forward. Look at verse 26. He said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now notice it says, as often as you eat. Uh, how often should we take communion? That's a really important question. There's some people that say, well, you should take it every single Sunday. And usually those who say that uh, point to their tradition. Well, I always grew up and we did it every single Sunday. Or they point to early church fathers that seem to indicate that they were taking it on a, a weekly, sometimes daily basis. Some people say we should take communion once a month. Some say once a quarter. Uh, some people, like I had a guy come up to me after one of our services this morning and said, I grew up and you did it once a year on Monday, Thursday before Easter, because after all, that's when Jesus did it. All right. So how do we know? How often should we take communion? We'll look at what it says. As often as you eat. As often as you eat. That's what the Bible says. How often should we do it? As often as you do it. Jesus doesn't prescribe any frequency, nor does the Apostle Paul. In fact, Paul is not really concerned about how often you take communion as how you take communion, right? Is your heart right? Is your attitude right? Are you doing it in a way that's honoring uh, to the Lord. So here at Cross Creek Church, we do it once a month, roughly once a month. I try not to get you in a rigid certain time because I don't want you to get legalistic about it. We're free in Jesus. We, got, we can't get in bondage there to that, but, but roughly about once a month, we take communion. We think that's frequent enough for you uh, to take it together. Uh, and if you missed one, to catch it uh, in just a few weeks afterwards. So we typically do it here about uh, once a month. But notice what he says here. As often as you eat it, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want you to notice the future aspect of that, until he comes. Until he comes. And I really love this about communion, that there's something about looking toward heaven that happens when you take communion. Jesus said in Matthew uh, 26 verse 29, he said, that I will drink this anew with you in my father's kingdom. And there's something, I mean, just think about it. There's something special about when we come together at the Lord's table that we're like, we're all very different, but we're all one in Christ. And here Jesus is with us. And that's just a little taste, just a little taste of what heaven's going to be like. I don't know how this is going to work, but he's, Jesus said, man, when we get to heaven, there's going to be a banquet and there's going to be a feast. And there's going to be a table and we're going to be all together, all believers of all time, all together with Jesus there, eating together, fellowshipping together, reminding each other of the sacrifice of Jesus. And, and I just can't wait for that moment. There's a little slice of heaven. That's why when we come to this table, there's no room for classism in this table. It doesn't matter how much money you have or where, what your education is. We're all one in Christ Jesus. At this table, there's no room for racism, 
right? It doesn't matter your ethnicity or your background or your culture. We're all one in Christ Jesus. At this table, there's no room for sexism. You know, male and female. And, and listen, we're all equally made in the image of God. We're equally redeemed by the blood of Christ. And we come together saved by Jesus Christ. And so there's just this beautiful picture of oneness and just a little taste of what heaven is going to be like when Jesus comes and takes us to be with him. But let me just press that a little further. There's some of you that have people in heaven that you love. We had, we had two families in our church that had tragic loss this week. And... Uh, buried a son and a son-in-law. Many of you have people that you love dearly that are in heaven. You have sons and daughters. You have um, parents. You have grandparents. You have family members that are already gone ahead of you in heaven. But, but when we take communion, it's a reminder that what we deal with in this world is not all there is. That there's a day coming when we're going to see him again. And we're going to be at the table with them again. You know, when my daughters were in college, one of the things I would do every fall, we get them off, we get them off to college, and we're like, okay, whew, all right, then we got football games, we'll see them. But we're always like, okay, when are you making it for Thanksgiving? You got to be here for Thanksgiving. Okay, when are you going to be here? When are you going to be here? Uh, have you left yet? You know, what, what time are you going to arrive? I got your place. And there would be a whole flurry of excitement preparing for the day when everyone would come home those who had been away would be home and you'd be at the table again. Well, we live in that tension of waiting for Thanksgiving, right? That's, that's where we are right now. We're waiting for the day when we will be all around the table again. And so that communion, we think about not only what Jesus has done, but what we will experience because we are in Christ. So we look back, we look forward Here's another thing. We look within or we look inward. All right. Check this out. Look at verse 27. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. He says that we can actually take communion in an unworthy manner. We can take it in an unworthy manner. Now, in some sense, we, we all are unworthy, right, of taking communion. Not being like, I'm worthy. Yes, most definitely. No, no, no. You know, we're all unworthy in a sense of the mercy and grace of God. But he's talking here not about that, but how we take communion. Did you know you can do it in a way that is unworthy or dishonoring or even can bring judgment on you? That's serious business. Think about the Corinthians. Here they are. They're fighting one another. They're not sharing. They're hating one another. They're getting drunk at the Lord's table. Certainly that would qualify as an unworthy way. But we can do that today too. Like, well, man, I'm not getting drunk at the Lord's table. Well, all right. Yeah, but there's some ways that you can take it in an unworthy way. For example, let me give you a couple of them. Number one is if you take it 
in uh, unbelief. That is, you don't really believe the gospel. You're not really, you're not giving your life to Christ. You're not believing the gospel, right? But, uh, but you're like, well, I guess I'm here at church and everybody's doing this. I'm going to take it. But I don't really believe the gospel. I, 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 I'm not affirming the truth of it. And in that way, you're taking an unbelief. Now, notice what he says in verse 29. If you take it without recognizing the body, that is the body and blood of Jesus, he just mentioned that back in verse 27, then, then that's bringing judgment on you. That's why we say that communion is just for believers. Listen, if you're here today and you're like, I'm just, I'm not sure where I stand. That's great. I'm so glad you're here, man. We want you to open up God's word. We're praying God speaks to your heart. And maybe even today you would give your life to Christ. But, but please don't take communion if you're not placed your faith in Jesus. Because that would be taking an unbelief, not recognizing what you're actually doing. Uh, the second way that you can do it in an unworthy way is, um, is by unrepentance. That is, maybe you have, uh, uh, maybe there's some secret sin or there's some area in your life that's not right with God and you're hardening your heart against the Lord. Maybe you're here today and God's been dealing with you in some area of your life. You're like, God, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm in a relationship. You have no business being in that relationship. You're doing something uh, uh, in that relationship that's unpleasing to God. Or you're, you're, you're walking down a lifestyle that's unpleasing to God. And God's been working on you and you're just hardening your heart. No, no, no to God. Listen, don't take communion. <laughs> because you're hardening your heart. You're not coming in repentance and faith. Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 27 about Pharisees. He said, you know what, you guys are like, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look really great on the outside, but inside there's a lot of sin and corruption. He's, he said, it's like washing a cup. You, cu you wash the outside of the cup, but inside the cup uh, is, is dirty. I mean, if you, if you were like, uh, guys, you're at home and your wife said, I thought you washed the, the cups. I, I did. Well, and you know, there's like coffee grounds in there and all kinds of junk in there. What, what has happened to that? Oh, I, I just washed the outside. Put it up. Nobody will notice. Once you pour it in there, nobody sees it anyway. Yes, you need to wash the inside too, right? And that's what Jesus said. You need to wash the inside. So maybe you come to communion and you need to say, God, is there anything in me that needs to change? So an unworthy way can be unrepentance. And then this last one is unresolved conflict. Is there unresolved conflict? The Corinthian church had a lot of conflict, a tremendous amount of conflict. And, and so here he's saying, hey, are you resolved? I mean, by the way, if, if communion is us being together, and as you're taking communion about us being together, you're hating on that brother over here. Or that sister over here, well, they talked about me, or, or they were rude to me, or they didn't care for me, or uh, they, did the, they said this to me in this business, business deal, and you're, you're just fighting one another. Does the Lord not know that? Does the Lord not see that? And so he's saying, listen, you need to make things right. In Matthew chapter 5, Verse 23, Jesus said, if you're at the altar and you're, you're worshiping God and God brings the remembrance that you're at odds with somebody, somebody has something against you, you leave and you go make it right. Then you come back. If that is important to do when you're offering up some kind of sacrifice, isn't it that important when you're dealing with the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, when you're remembering the sacrifice of Christ? So he said, just make it right. Go make it right. 
He said, so these things are an unworthy way to take communion. Verse 28, he says, you should examine yourself. Notice it, verse 28, examine yourself. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. In other words, pray, God, is there anything in me right now that's not pleasing to you? Is there any attitude in me? Is there any behavior in me? Is there any thought life in me that's offensive to you, God? Show it to me, God, what it is, and I'll confess it quickly. That's the attitude in which we come to the table. And he said, if you don't do that, look at verse 29. You eat and drink judgment on yourself. He said, there are some of you in that Corinthian church that you've been sick. Some of you have fallen asleep. He's not talking about falling asleep in church. He's talking about like died, all right? In other words, what I take away from that is, man, God's serious about this. Communion is special. It's important. It's a holy moment. And we should not be cavalier with it, but always soberly examining our own heart as we come to the Lord's table. So we look back what Christ has done. We look forward to what heaven's going to be like. We look within to examine our own hearts. And then lastly, we look around. Look at verse 33. Therefore, based on all that he said, My brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment, and I will give instruction about other matters whenever I come. Here he says to welcome one another. That's the CSB version. You might look at your version that you have there. Uh, Most of them translate that wait on one another. That's probably the better translation to wait on one another. In other words, he's saying, hey guys, when you rush in, don't just like, you know, kind of like your teenagers attacking food, you know, on the table. Don't do that. All right, everybody slow down. Everybody get together. Share what you have evenly. Love on each other well. Enjoy each other's fellowship. Then let's take communion. Let's wait on each other. Twice he uses the word together. This is what we do together. This is what we do together. This is our unity in Christ. This is a picture of our unity in Christ. Some people say, well, we take communion by ourselves in our home. Well, that's okay, but that's not what it's intended for. It's intended for the body to do it together. That's the whole point. We're one in Christ Jesus. It's something we do as a whole body together. And by the way, this is why you can't just do church online forever. Okay, online is great for when you're sick. Online is awesome when you're traveling. But when you're here, you need to be here together. Because how else can you take the table together if you're not together, right? And that's why Paul says we take of one loaf because we are one body. We're one. So again, I'll kind of start, I'll end up where I started off. Communion is all about being one, not divisions, not preferences, not our different traditions, but it's all about our oneness in Christ Jesus. So, we're going to take communion together. So why don't you bow your heads with me for just a minute and get your communion cup out. And I want you to take just a minute to examine your own hearts. Invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Is there any unrepentance? 
Is there any unresolved conflict? Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. Even now, you can confess your sin to God. Even now, you can cry out to the Lord Jesus to forgive you of your sin and to wash you clean and make you right. Do that right now. Right where you're seated. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I place my trust and faith in you. Lord, search my heart. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're here with us. You're in this place. And so, Lord, we, we come to worship you. We come in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. And we come in fellowship with you. And, Lord, we remember all that you've done for us.